0: Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Beam Voice podcast. Today we have with us uh, someone from United States, Gregor Wilkner uh, or Wilkner. I mispronounced that. Uh, Gregor is a full stack ACO industry specialist with more than 15 years of experience. His work has always been highly technical and innovative in the fields of data driven facility management, computational design, Beam interoperability and software automation. Welcome, Gregor. Well,
1: that was a handful.
0: Hello. Yes. <laughs> well, is that <laughs> true or not? <laughs> Wait, I wrote that. <laughs> yes. Do, you don't even remember when you did that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now. It's well, they've time. been using
1: the title full stack uh, in 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 the in the field of software development for a while. So people that that know how to craft a front end build a web page, but also are familiar with uh, IT architecture, database design, and operability apis, right? so we I think we are at a point where we have a generation in 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 the AEC industry that that really has morphed through like construction background, engineering background, architecture experience, uh, and then even and even battled around in in facility management and and observing how, how it all, it all needs a little more software and how it all needs a little more interoperability, right? So that's, that's, thus the CEO full stack professional.
0: Yeah. How, how did you start? Can you tell us a little bit about, uh, how did you start your career in AEC and how you moved from there?
1: Um, I did, I did, uh, I did a master's uh, in, in Germany. I grew up uh, on, on the Baltic Sea in northeastern Germany. Germany, um, studied civil engineering at the University of Rostock and found my way to, to, to New York City, to Columbia University to pursue a, a PhD in civil engineering. What's, what's, what's funny about that, in, uh, in my hand, I I always tried to stay away from material science because it didn't add up mathematically. That was all like learning stuff by heart. And so I disliked that, but eventually my my research got me into using glass as a as an aggregate in concrete and using high performance polymeric fibers to to reinforce and pre stress them. So it was all about like chemistry and material science, fair enough. And um, I got stuck in New York. Eventually, started working at uh, Thornton Tomasetti, which is which is a structural engineering consultancy um, worldwide now, fairly large. Lots, lots of really, really talented staff, um, and they they branched out into 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 fields beyond structural engineering. They were originally known for um, twin towers in Kuala Lumpur, one hundred and one, so world class super high rise buildings. And um, I worked in there in their forensics unit, so we did a lot of forensics uh, engineering. And I, from the first day, basically, like loved writing code. Um, did a lot of interoperability. Uh, we used VBA back in the day. Uh, doing doing interoperability between between our engineering programs, uh, like SAP, for instance, SAP two thousand, AutoCAD, ETAPS. and then we also worked with Digital Project. We had a project with friend Gary going at the time, and also Tecla, right? And it it kind of drives home on the like best tool for the job sort of uh, mantra. So we 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 used to use uh, like digital project because of its fantastic geometry engine, and we used uh, Revit because it was the best mousetrap to to create drawings and documents, and we used Tecla to do solid modelings because eventually it has to be built in steel and glass. And so that that's basically you master those three, you can you can go a long way, you know. So um, eventually, I left I left TT to join uh, Skanska's. Uh, mission critical unit. We built uh, like enterprise class data centers for eBay for the Royal Bank of Canada um, and then spun out uh, into, into a startup that focused on software design for facility management and uh, monitoring. So we did, we did a bunch of like uh, monitoring for data centers. So you, you, you interoperate with the building management systems with the building automation systems and, and you get time series data on pressures, temperatures, um, electricity, KWs, KWH. So that, that helps basically monitor like the, the end-to-end consumption of energy in a data center or the end-to-end consumption of like cooling and MEP systems in data centers. So that's basically from, from engineering through a little bit of construction, facility management. And uh, and recently I've um, joined Microdes. Microdes is a, is a BIM consultancy. So we, we basically... Uh, assist, consult, uh, build tools, do custom software development for, for a lot of customers. So
0: it's, it's, uh, it's good times. Interesting. Is there anything that you can openly share about these tools and uh, what they are, their purpose it is? Sure,
1: sure. I, I hope I don't misrepresent that. Uh, so, so MicroDesk has been around for, for more than 20 years. Uh, traditionally used to be an Autodesk reseller. Has then extended into into consulting, training, uh, IT consulting, and and through the years, always assisted customers with writing custom code, like like interoperability or or tools to help people be be more efficient, right? And I think more more recently, it has become more blatant that this is actually really needed because some of the some of the recent additions to to Revit, for instance, are sort of clunky, especially when when you look at uh, MEP and There's a lot of investment now into like better modeling for MEP uh, fabrication, getting all that into the BIM workflow. And uh, the the tools are, I don't want to call them half baked, but they certainly leave a lot of opportunity for, for building like better, better ways to do more efficient workflows. So at, uh, at micro we have a, we have a suite of like superpowers for, for Revit. It's a, it's a suite of tools Uh, it's called BIMRX. So you can, you can Google that. It's it's a BIM with an RX. RX is short for a subscription, right? If you need you need a little extra to boost your immune system, you get a subscription for medicine. Yeah, and it helps with uh, interoperability, uh, round tripping data and parameter data through Excel. It has fantastic tools and uh, and workflows for for MEP and fabrication in particular. So you can like mass select a whole bunch of ducts and and it'll just place hangers automatically, right? Which which don't necessarily are all perfect, perfect, you know, but it, it's like 95%, you're 95% there, and then you just have to do cleanup. So you don't have to like click around a lot. So it's it's that. And then uh, the other thing that we're, we're doing is a lot of work now with um, cloud-based BIM um, 360 uh, automation, um, robot and automatic onboarding of users, of projects, doing a lot of like batch operations there, because that's a lot of clicking if you do that manually. And also Forge. I mean, Forge is, is a fantastic ecosystems of like getting getting models in the browser and not just looking at them, but actually like developing workflows and and uh, data applications, uh, commissioning applications, uh, checking of progress in the field, rebar stuff like that.
0: Interesting. What is from your perspective? What is BIM for you? How do you see BIM?
1: Yeah, the I and BIM, right? Nah, I'm mean, a nerd, right? I like to write code. So the, the I, the information is the most important thing.
0: It's only that anyway. <laughs>
1: yeah. In in the US, I think, in the US, BIM is Revit. And it's a bit unfortunate. I like how in Scandinavia, in where, where you operate, BIM is IFC, right? BIM has a lot of, like, you may as well use interoperability for the I, right? There's more open standards, more data-driven. Um, the problem with BIM is that we just, we just kept on like making a mousetrap for drawing generation better. So now Revit is a superior drawing generator, you know? Yeah. And uh, my good friend, Bob Otani, he works with uh, the, the guys at uh, TT Core Studio at, at Martin Tomasetti. He, he he likes to say, because they do very challenging uh, structural engineering, right? With like beams, they go around the curve and stuff like that. Very, very challenging projects. And and this is all modeled in 3D, of course. and 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 then they they have to like produce the drawings because of uh, government requirements. So he, he keeps saying his his quote for that is like we have the Lamborghini, but we have to deliver the horse carriage, you know. <laughs> so, uh,
0: that's so well said.
1: And it's 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 true, right? It's like you can do a lot of like a lot of the stuff in, in virtual, and you should do it in virtual. And and yet we uh, we we keep building tools that that make uh, drawings faster, you know. But we build no tools that can read drawings faster. So that's still that's still human. Yes. I like I like Tekla for that like the whole like getting getting interoperability directly into fabrication and, and construction processes that's that, that's that, that's key
0: Yes that's true uh, and this is a very important thing you mentioned there uh, authorities not not regulating not keeping the pace with the industry and with the need of the direction the industry must go yeah, BIM has always been disturbing the peace, right? Yes, uh, I don't know how it is in the US. In Norway, I see big progress from the state companies uh, in this uh, area, and the, the, the future looks uh, very promising. I'm really hoping that this is going to be the case for the other countries as well. But outside of, you you mentioned fabrication, uh, that Tecla is good for fabrication. And you worked with uh, facility management as well. I see that as the missing link, mostly in the yeah. in the projects, in the project requirements. Uh, what do you think about that? I, I'm not very well known with. Uh, with no, you're
1: uh, you're you're, you're right. Management. It's uh, the 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 crux of the whole thing. Who gets to pay for it, right? And and why do we do it, right? And. The owners continue to expect the building and a set of keys, and, and that's it, right? If you have a more sophisticated building, there may be like more requirements around how you deliver a building project. And I like to use, um, yeah, there, there's two thoughts to that. One, I think there should be a hard deliverable and a soft deliverable, right? The hard deliverable is a building, the soft deliverable is not a DVD with a bunch of PDFs. The soft deliverable is also not a bunch of Excel files, right? The soft deliverable is, is means and APIs and hooks into data structures that allow you to, to streamline data into facility management, to, to get a head start with, with building facility management. I thought about that just, just the other day, um, all right? That's a second thought. second thought is, um, is, is constructability versus operability. We have BIM and 3D modeling mostly for the use case clash detection. I think that holds until today. It's, it's, it's shown to be extremely useful, risk reducing to like if, if the sprinkler pipes can't fit through the beam, you lock a bunch of BIM guys in a room and they can yell at each other until they figure out how to reroute, right? I mean, you, you, you have this happening on a construction site. You stop work, people go home, nobody gets paid, lawsuits start, and you lose half a year, right? It's, it's much more expensive. Of course to To not to not to them right. So that's that's why we do it right. So the, them is driven like to a large extent uh, by the use case uh, constructability, and operability is it's not about the connection design or it's not about the sprinkler pipe going through the beam. It's about where are my assets? What are my assets? What is the metadata of the assets? How is the, the network of pipes actually running? Like. Uh, air from the outside through ducts to the inlets like how do i measure like air quality what do i meter like do i do i do i meter and sub meter electricity down to the plug or down to the level or down to the room and why don't we meter water like we have we have a, one meter at the at the intake of water for a building but there is like very very little like sub metering for for water for instance right and the other thing that you keep seeing when you go to airports and when you go to to shopping malls, you have these beautiful, and they're all like done using Illustrator, obviously, right? But you have these beautiful floor plans that, that clearly communicate, like if you want to go see a movie, that's the movie. If you want to go to Macy's, there's Macy's. And, and now you have these things like interactively on, on on large screen touch screens where the kids can like go and they click like to whatever they want to buy, right? Yeah. And that is a deliverable that is not that is not on the shopping menu for an owner, but I think it should be like your egress plans, your, like, you should have like, beautiful floor plans, smart floor plans that you can use for operations, right? You go into any facility management system, they have PDFs, they have technical drawings because drawings are always generated for a technical audience, but they don't have this nice floor plan that actually, that actually works with, 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 with an owner or a not technical person, you know? And that's something that we should put on the menu for, for, for deliverables, for a soft deliverable of a construction project.
0: Why do you think that like why, why do you think the case and the DVD with the plans is not enough why why would that be uh, important for a for a owner for an asset manager?
1: there is there are studies right uh, like and we've tried studies we, we've tried for like 15 years now to or, or more even to to justify the cost of BIM like it's more expensive to, to do it yeah because before we didn't so now you need to spend extra money to do it. But um, there, there is are <laughs> studies that show how much time is spent of people like digging into closets, pulling out the files, like going to page 225 for like some operations procedure of like because your power distribution unit or a chiller breaks or something like that. I mean ultimately they don't even do that they just call the number of a maintenance guy and then the maintenance guy goes in a truck and drives two hours and, and it's like $5,000 dollars later the guy hasn't even started working. so. Automatic, like beep the thing with the barcode, get the operations manual up on screen automatically. I mean, that's that's two hours saved right there. Go on a VR call with a with a support guy and have a have a remote assessment first. That that's another that's a round trip of a of a, a technician safe, right? Yeah. So th- that's all. I think workflows they they are possible and they are the future and they are enabled by us doing a better job, like not hooking it all up and and providing them with this hell 2000 but just by by doing a good job like uh modeling or or, or or scanning right if you watch movies they always they always have like a team in the truck and they click a button on the screen and then they get 3d prints and they can em- like exactly see like how to route through all the ducts to get to where the safe is you know and it's like to me that's like th- that's that's the future but that future has been like we've been waiting for that for, for so long the technology has been there for a while
0: Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Digital twins, right? I
1: mean, like digital twins is like the operations, the equipment, the the metadata, the performance data, and of course, the shell.
0: Yeah. Uh, You know, uh, like you said, the technology is here and not not only the technology, like it is happening. Uh, In Norway, have been built now around 100 projects without drawing that should make you think about the old way of working. They are not, and they are not losing money. Like you said that a beam will cost more. Yeah, that's true. But let's look at the big picture. It will cost more to design and prepare better quality documentation, right? Because that is what you get instead of a bunch of uh, DVDs with PDFs, right? But at the same time, because you avoid Spending so much time on the site, you save money. Actually, right. When you look at yeah, the entire uh, process, the, the,
1: the cost has to be measured on the on the life cycle of a, of a project, right? And yeah, that's why you prefabricate <laughs> and why you modularize.
0: And uh, yep, yep. No, you're you're absolutely right. And when you take into account the the life cycle, but what you said there, it's very advanced. And I don't know, I don't have a solution for this, like. To have all these metrics, you need people that are aware and know how to use these metrics for the better performance of of, of the building. Uh, I, I got I, I heard somewhere uh, someone mentioning that the raise of uh, the information managers in our industry, and I think that is that might be the description of a job for for this kind of yeah. uh, job, like working people like civil engineers, maybe working with digital twins, right? Uh, to use the live data and make decisions for the best of of the users and of the the assets right yeah uh, but uh, we, yeah, have we have to figure out the that. use
1: cases we have to figure out the budgeting and we have to figure out who gets to pay for it and because every time you you introduce something to an established ecosystem that wasn't there before the the immediate thing that is observed is is new costs right so yeah our, our our industry is not aware about anything as as closely as as new cost like that's what we don't want
0: <laughs> yes because we are too we look too much into where we are and we 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 don't want to get our heads out of the sand that's the problem uh, because we are we are too ingrained in our old ways of working uh, and i think um like what what i what i used
1: to really really like and that's also a while back um there used to be a bridge that fell in a river in somewhere in the U.S., right? And uh, that's like uh, 2007 or six or something like that, interstate bridge. So, like a big artery uh, for a local environment that was severely uh, injured and blocked, right? And they were like, "Oh, so it's going to take us like two years to fix this or something like that." And it's one of these like uh, poster childs of an of an IPD project, right? An integrated project delivery project where Instead, the owner, like the, the locality, were like, look, here's a, here a bucket of money. You guys go figure it out. If you deliver early, you get a bonus. So it it was a team approach, right? And there was an incentive of, of uh, like do well and collaborate and deliver like joint digital assets rather than everybody has their own, right? And And fair enough, the bridge opened early everybody get a bonus and it was a successful like very very successful project where people are like oh we should be doing this all the time you know but if you you have to write the specs correctly for, for that to be to be possible
0: yes it's everything it's a, like it's a loop like and everything comes together here and everything starts with uh, starts with uh, the requirements as you said uh, in order to to set better requirements you need to know that it's possible, and you need, uh, you need to know, you need to have people that know that. If you, As an owner, you don't know. Uh, I, I don't know if we have too many practices that are helping asset managers or asset owners to understand this. Uh, someone mentioned that in a previous episode that uh, we, are not do, we are not professional anymore. Like, we are, we are not working, like, I'm talking about consultants. Are not working with the best interest of the customer anymore. We are just thinking how to get our time paid, and we don't think on the long run here. Uh, and I'm not completely against that. I see there a, a, a big gap, but yeah, the owners. It's I don't know how you do that. Uh, the owners are very concerned. They focus on the cost they have right now to build the building, right? They don't think long term, and it's easy to understand that we as a human uh, race, like we, it's easier to focus on what we have on our plate for the next two, three years, than on how the project is going to be used in 20 years, right? And how much money we can save there.
1: There's a few interesting things there. You see um, a lot of that with uh, like new apps, things on the phone, right? For, For people to operate their buildings better where where people can like on comfy or something like that, like go on the phone, like oh it's too cold, you know, and then it gets bubbled up, and eventually, they uh, they raise the temperature in the basement. The 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 thought that we had been pursuing for a while is um, is, is deploy like I I O T and and uh, make 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 facility management data systems available like beyond just the seller of the building because usually facility management systems like building automation systems are, are localized, right? Um, there's like no no internet access because somebody could hack your building, right? But then fair enough, as of like a while ago, nowadays, most of the systems have uh, internet gateways just just for just for service uh, connection and for fire department access and stuff like that, right? and And that kind of like gets you to an idea so like why, like in addition to or having a bunch of like facility management guys in a building run a firm, put a bunch of guys in there. And and have them operate remotely, like not one building but 200 buildings, and operate this thing like uh, a bit, bit more like a hedge fund. Take a bunch of smart guys and discover arbitrage opportunities, and actually like turn this into into a thing where you can where you can make money. Because one of the things that we're, we've been observing is, especially in the case of facility management, even if you have very very uh, power hungry infrastructure like data centers. Nobody gets a bonus if you save 20% energy. Everybody gets fired when the lights go up. So the, the the incentivizing is 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 very backwards, right? And and so if if you think about like switching it around a little bit like that, and uh, and getting to a point where you could take your building and instead of having a performance contractor who gives you a new like who gives you solar panels on the roof, but send off the like portions of the facility management to a to a company that that does that like more algorithmically and more data-driven and, and at scale, right? That's the thing, like uh, apps on a phone work because it's done at scale. You know, you develop something, you have like 20 million downloads and here we are, we're rich, right? You do, you do custom software development for our industry. You, you need a lot of users to to make your money back. So that that's like one of the ways why writing code in, in our industry is not necessarily as profitable as writing code that is like, Business to customer directly, you know, where people just like like use an app, you know, and they use it for shopping. And if the app dies, then nobody gets hurt. Like in our industry, if something fails, people get hurt.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it's not. Uh, yeah, you you must be aware of many things when you uh, with what you do. Definitely. Yeah, uh, these are are some of the challenges, but uh, uh, things are happening, and. A Proof of that is is what you are doing what you are working it's a proof of that right
1: yeah i think in the u.s where we're seeing something like that there's a i think there's a renaissance of of engineering like engineering and architecture was like for many years not necessarily a like well respected profession in society they weren't like big paychecks around and stuff like that but now there's there's a lot of investment into the space, a lot of like MAs, right? Auto that's buying startups left and right. And if you if you show up at companies nowadays or the bigger ones at least, like you, you have to have grasshopper chops. You have to know Rhino, you have to do dynamo, you have to like know a little bit of that. So it's not just L space click click anymore, you know. So we've we've thankfully gotten gotten past that where we draw lines on 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 a canvas instead we're modeling objects.
0: Yes programming skills are um... Becoming uh, a requirement for almost all the jobs, the new jobs. So, uh, because it's important, it's very difficult uh, to be just uh, yeah, click here and there person uh, nowadays. But maybe for the most perform the best companies. But I think this is going to be the case for everybody in the industry. Not not in uh, many years from now on, I guess. Uh, it's necessary, like. Uh, you just cannot comp- compete anymore if you if you just uh, rely on clicks on uh, manual modeling if you if we're talking about modeling for example because yeah somebody with a script that uh, can reuse it for a bridge will make the same design you will do in half a year in two weeks so then bye-bye business right bye-bye project so it's uh, it's is definitely happening, and uh, it's not only for like. I dare to say that uh, programming skills are becoming like uh, like uh, how important the English language is for, uh, for from a global perspective. Like, if you want to uh, to to get to the next level, you need to do that, right? If you want to to get uh, in contact with businesses around the globe, you need to know English. Or
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, and another thing that you have, I think, especially in, in our industry like our in engineering, you you need you need the hybrids, right? Uh, the the centaurs, right? You you need to understand technology and uh, data driven environments and you at the same time you need to be an engineer and be a subject matter expert in 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 in, in what you do, whether that's like civil or structural or or architecture I think that's that's uh, we've, we've observed that in, in smart facility management that there's there's been over the years a bunch of startups that had fantastic software but they didn't know how to get data out of a building right so you you need to go to the guys that have been doing building automation systems for many years and and you have to be able to to, to work across these disciplines and I find that very exciting it's, it's I've always been a fan of interdisciplinary um, approaches interdisciplinary teams right that that makes it all a melting pot
0: yeah, do you are you aware about any uh, facility management platforms that might help building owners to harvest some data and I don't know make smarter decisions or something? Or
1: um, we 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 did develop um, a platform at, at at my old company Energy Metrics as a as a platform called EM Core and EM Connect. We use that for um, small unmanaged real estate right? So we, we worked with, uh, with, with banks, for instance, who have hundreds and hundreds of bank branches. And we just like went to these branches and we put in like little IOT gizmos for, um, like smart thermostats, smart lighting, smart power meters. And then you roll that up into a cloud-based environment where you can do like reporting for a fleet of hundreds of, uh, of, of, pieces of real estate that typically don't even have a facility management, uh, system. Right. So you can like one create awareness of, like who's, who's using more energy or who leaves the light on at night, stuff like that. I mean, I grew up in Germany, right? I mean, you leave, you leave a room, you switch off the light. You, you, you set back your thermostat at night. You, you do all these things when you go on vacation, right? And it's funny in the US, that's just not part of culture, right? Nice. So you need, to, you need to not only like make, make that quote unquote bad behavior visible, but you just need to just just put in a robot to fix it. So you automatically set back uh, like like uh, set points for temperature so You automatically switch off the light using sensors and stuff like that, right? Um, so that's that's one. And and then on the on the bigger scale, if you take like more traditional like dinosaur-style facility management systems like uh, IBM Maximo, they they all have it, now they're all cloud-based. They all have APIs. They all integrate with like. 3D BIM systems, they're becoming more and more aware of like, oh, maybe we should eat a little IFC so we can, we can visualize stuff better. Right. Yeah. There, there's one company, I just don't, don't recall the name in, in New York and they, they, they've been working with uh, class A real estate guys and, and they've, they've been deploying like even more modern analytics like observing when people show up uh like knowing what the day of the week is whether you have a weekend whether you have a highly loaded building right so you take the idea of it, it works for buildings and it also works for data centers for instance right by by just knowing what the weather should be tomorrow and whether it's a sunday or a tuesday uh, you, you should know when to when to ramp up your mechanical systems in the morning right there's a difference between like like putting it on at 5am or 6am or 7am or not putting it on at all and that can make like like very big differences and that's where data scientists come in that's where learning comes in so that's where the internet comes in because of course a building should have the weather forecast for tomorrow right it's like duh, but you you look around which buildings know what the weather's going to be tomorrow they have no clue. um just just that to to finish your your thought on, on facility maintenance yeah.
0: yeah yeah sure yeah, that makes sense, uh, and uh, sounds sounds interesting. And we definitely need uh, more because this has can have a, a huge impact on everything, on the the impact on the environment and everything else. Right? Like we we can we can use for much longer the resources, and uh, we can reduce a lot the the energy consumption. Uh, IPDS, you mentioned IPDS. So uh, you said that would be nice to have them on every project. Is not that happening still in the U.S.? One, I'm not,
1: I don't think I'm qualified to talk about it because I've, I've, I haven't worked in, in, in that part of, of the project lifecycle in a while. From, your, from the rumors, let's
0: say from, from rumors.
1: Well there's still like now nowadays so you have like collaboration platforms like like BIM 360 and and where, where firms were very very aware of what the deliverables were and you always opt for PDFs over BIM models because of legal exposure right now you're very aware of like who who gets access to what in a BIM 360 environment um you have you have like a BIM 360 environment for for design but then you have different collaboration platforms for construction and and no no smooth handover. So it's still this like uh walled garden building where Autodesk in the US is, is now trying to make BIM 360 park of part of construction, right? But then but then you take uh you take Oracle and, and Primavera and those guys and they're like, oh no, no, we're already here, you know. Like so it's it's they 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 need to build bridges, but instead they're all talking monopoly, and how can we like uh not not necessarily be open, right? Another thing is uh that that was Mr. Dim's 360 thing. Is, is the way? Is the way these platforms make money? I think there is a flaw in the thinking there because onboarding users means adding users means adding subscriptions means adding like nine dollars a month per user or nineteen dollars a month per user. Like those platforms, they, the the cost adds up, and whoever like sits on the budgets is very aware of who should and who should not have access. Right at the same time. I mean, you want to do it right. It should be easy and, and free to have more people collaborate in a digital platform. And you should measure what actually accrues costs. So like Autodesk is not, they're not making more or less money if they have more or less users. They make more or less money in cost in their cloud environment if they have more data traffic. So figure out how you want to sell your product, like measure like uh, by, by, by data transfer or measure by 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 gigabytes used, but by all means, let people onboard 50 users without extra cost. Because if you had 50 more users in your collaboration platform, then 50 more people would be doing it without using like Dropbox illegally on the site, you know? I mean, there's a lot of dark IT where people just use something else because it it just works better. It's more efficient, it's cheaper. And the boss says, no, you can't have access to BIM 360.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That was very
1: unfiltered, I apologize. (laughs)
0: It's fine. Uh, while we are here, uh, what, what's your take on uh, on uh, open source actually for AAC?
1: I like it. I like it a lot because there is so much depth in in IT and software infrastructure nowadays. It's it's like Microsoft is open sourcing all of .net Visual Studio. Like like uh, code is, is, is there's so much open source now because you can't just like copying and stealing code doesn't doesn't really work like that anymore it's like you have you have like uh bimbeats we we were really fascinated with 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 bimbeats and what what that monkeys and and conrad and the guys did uh that that runs on Elasticsearch on the elk stack kibana right that is a completely like apache licensed open sourcing but to be able to set it up Is you need to put it on Linux service. You need to maintain it. You you need to do your user management. You have to do security. You have to do all these things. And and that's where the economy is in like how to set stuff up and operate it and be efficient, and not having to babysit Linux service. So instead buying it as a service. So I think open source, absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, Ian Keogh's like hyper platform is uh, there. There's a lot of open source there. There's a lot of like open source around IFC. I, I still wonder why there is no open source like Supported IFC parser and DLLs. Everybody's still like running their own their own engines there. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of ways. For instance, like Autodesk having joined like uh, some some open source alliance recently. Like they could do a lot of good by by shepherding and and taking like a little mentorial role into into having like open SDKs and DLLs for IFC for open uh, SDKs and DLLs for um, for for Kobe, for instance, right? I mean, if you have a standard that is a standard that has been a standard for twenty years, and it's written up in a thousand pages of PDF, and and there's an Excel table, that's not an, that's not that's not open that's not open BIM. Like you need to have, you know, libraries and code and uh, and GitHub repositories, and, and that's something that is still lacking. I think.
0: Yeah, can you go a little bit more into detail or, or, uh, about what you said about uh, bad monkeys? Uh, that uh, that their solution or what is that? platform they develop a platform
1: gotta love the bad monkeys it's it's a it's a great name they're uh they're hardcore they're they're distributed they're remote they're all over the place i think uh, their ceo is actually in scandinavia right he posted a fantastic hiring video on linkedin the other day yes yes they they productized um a thing called uh beats right so if you monitor pcs right um if we go back for a minute uh if like if you have a plant, if you have a processing plant, you have, you have sensors, right? You have plant engineers. They know what kind of thing they need to measure to measure the output, to measure the efficiency. And it's always been driven by sensors in an industrial IoT, right? If you have knowledge companies, like financial companies, traders, they have very expensive stuff. They have very expensive IT, expensive computers. And they also want to kind of have an idea of like how, how the ship's running. Like, am I spending too much on computers? Like, my, my users keep asking for bigger computers. Like, should I should I yield? Do they have a point? Um, and the same thing we observe in our industry with with BIM operators, right? It's like BIM machines are expensive PCs. Uh, the users always complain that they need a bigger one, and uh, and licenses are also expensive. So, we basically took the same monitoring paradigm that has been used in other industries very successfully for many years now. And that's the the ELK stack, right? ELK is Elasticsearch Kibana, um, which allows you to, to get telemetry from, from PCs on the fly, harvest them in databases, and then bubble them up as dashboards so you can see like what, what the utilization of your workforce and the utilization of your like laptops is, for instance, right? So you have the same thing in BIM where you could like when somebody starts like Revit, like what, what versions of Revit do you use? Like, do my, do my peeps work at night and on the weekends, right? Uh, If you type project files through network drives and BIM 360 signatures to projects, you could actually measure how much, how much time is actually spent in, in, in projects. And that could, that could help with, uh, with, with like billing and estimating and, and finding out if, if, the price you're selling for your hours, if those hours are actually honestly accrued or not, and um, and BimBeats is a suite of um, edge software pieces that that sit in in our software that we use in the AC industry to to measure usage. So it's, it's in uh, Rhino, it, it, it does Grasshopper, it's, it's in Revit, it's it's, uh, it's with Dynamo, with Bim360, with Glue, and I think it's um, it's. It's a, it's a visibility into performance metrics that, that our industry is lacking. I think that, that's needed.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, and not only that, mostly when I was referring about softwares, uh, open source for uh, AAC, I was thinking mostly about uh, not stacks, because mainly this, uh, yeah, what you mentioned, like uh, Visual Studio Code and uh, the other uh, things uh, are, like for IT generally, right? It's not only for AAC. I was thinking mostly like for m- more custom tailored solutions, especially for, for us, like alternatives for Revit, uh, open source alternative for Revit or or for uh, facility manager uh, management, some open uh, source solutions or something from this point of view. But uh, the the BeamBeats is really nice. Uh, sounds really nice. I will definitely take a closer look into that.
1: We we have we have started uh, doing something like that. If you, for instance, I've like I I had worked on a um, on a GraphQL server endpoint for, for Revit, right? And it works. I have a prototype, but I don't have the time to build it out to cover all the functionality of the Revit API. So we we have that we have that open source, for instance, uh, or or Forge as a as a viewer. If you wanna if you wanna code against Forge, it's all like JavaScript, right? So we we have uh, like like a lot of our developers they like C sharp and uh, and using Visual Studio you know so we we have a wrapper that that allows you to use Forge in Blazor projects and build websites using C sharp so that's that's open source so they're basically projects that that are seeds and if you use more you could you could add more functionality right and I think like a lot of open source projects are grown organically like that it's little use cases they are given to a community and then the community can can bolt on features as they need it.
0: Yeah, they are very important. It's very important to have alternatives. In IT, open source, it's as the core of IT. Yeah, but at the same
1: time, you got to give these approaches time, right? I mean, you, you look at what what is big successful open source IT infrastructure now, like Elasticsearch, like Linux. I mean, th- those things have, have grown with like use case at a time over over ten years over twenty years, you know yeah. so and and they also have found lots and lots of usage which which kept momentum high, right so whereas if you start a facility management system open source now i mean you you need a lot of users to have momentum high, and then you need a lot of developers to to contribute, and they all need to like eat lunch, so you have to figure out how to make that work
0: yeah, nah no, that's true. And like you said, it's uh, it's difficult to yeah to generate money when you own um, like uh, you cannot sell to outside any any services or something. From yeah, we, we talked about that
1: earlier with uh, with with owners, right? And uh, that's the thing that I just remembered I wanted to bring up earlier. Yeah. Um. You, you know, you go into like any any ski company nowadays. They there's like a BIM execution plan, right? So if he you're if you're an owner, if you're an owner and uh and, and you have a fancy new flagship building that you want to build and you, you work with your architects and your engineers, and it's it's quite okay now to say, like, hey, what's your BIM strategy? How do you do it? Where's your BIM execution plan? Because it's like the marriage contract. You know, this is where you write on paper like what you promise to deliver a little more detail than just saying, like, oh yeah, we're gonna do BIM. Um, and I think you can do the same thing from an owner's perspective now, also about like uh, like a smart smart building plan. So if if you have your building and five years later you have some fancy uh, data science platform on the web that can do wonders with your building, but they need access to your data. Right now they they go they go to your facility like to your building automation systems guy and the Johnson Controls guy or the Siemens guy. Uh, any one of those guys is gonna go like no can't have access to the data because it's not it's not built in the contract. It's not monetized. All these APIs are proprietary, but if there was a plan where the building automation team has to fill out a smart building plan document where they see like, okay, if somebody shows up in five years to offer data services on a building, they can go use this API, they can use that endpoint, and yes, our BACnet or our Modbus is going to be open for them. If that that was in place, it would actually make a lot of like smart facility management, uh, like uh, platforms and, and web-based applications it, it would it would give them an easier time to to do business in the in the building space currently like the biggest hurdle doing smart buildings is getting access to the data
0: yeah yeah that sounds very interesting yeah that's uh, that's intriguing it's also something you
1: could template it and then people could just like pick up like the standard um, not the BIM execution plan, but the smart building execution plan, and they could take the template and, and wiggle around a little bit with some customizations, and then when, when the, the building automation teams bid for the work, they have to fill that out, and if they don't want to fill it out, they can't bid.
0: Yeah, I think uh, this this might be uh, really interesting and should be for, uh, for smart uh, asset owners, should be, definitely, to get the most out of, uh, of their uh, projects. But we are uh, we are struggling with uh, building uh, with BIM execution plans to be taken seriously. Like uh, yeah, a lot of people are using them, but uh, not a lot of people are conforming to them, or not uh, deliver according to them, or try. Is it, is it
1: because it's too too bureaucratic, right? It's it's just a lot of small print and nobody exactly, reads so. it. And the, the real answer is is culture, right? Where People just do it the way they do it because that's the way they do it, right?
0: Yes, yes. But uh, that, nonetheless, that is a very good uh, proposal. Actually, I don't know if this is something that is talking about in uh, in ISO 9650. But uh, there are many uh, uh, requirements uh, or proposals. There, uh, beam execution plan, asset asset information requirement maybe there uh, i will look into this maybe maybe is covered by that because i right. think there, there is something there is a, ki- a requirement for for asset management but i don't know if that says something about uh, the smart and the, to uh, the yeah about data requirements right yeah so but but that's uh, that makes completely sense and, uh, well know.
1: best best branding in the space is haystack right like in because it is it is a haystack it's highly unstructured it's a it's a big pile of fluff that you never need uh, just just this one little piece every once in a while
0: yeah um you you've been uh, invited to a conference not long ago what have you been talked about uh, talking about there
1: that was the AEC Technology Conference. It's it's run and has been organized since oh like the eighth or ninth time now by uh, TTs like Thornton Mercedes uh, Core Studio. Um, they they run a bunch of workshops on Friday. Um, they always had fantastic support from uh, like the McNeil team, for instance. So. Uh, There's there's Rhino, there's Rhino inside. There's like ladybug and grasshopper guys. There's a whole bunch of energy modeling. It's it's filled up with nerds. It's really it's a nerd fest if you want my like unfiltered opinion on that. And then they have a hackathon on uh, on the weekend, Saturday Sunday, and uh, a symposium with like very very good quality speakers. Always always has been like very good um, on on Monday, and um, I think. I think it's getting. It's it's still it's still gaining traction. It's 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 becoming more and more apparent that that's an in it's it's an important conference on on the calendar for for building uh, the EEC technologists. I was participating a couple of times before as a speaker, and uh, this year I gave a lightning workshop on Saturday as part of the hackathon. So I had a had a Zoom Zoom going. Um, it was a it was a bunch of guys, and we talked about the. The GraphQL open source endpoint for for Revit. Um, and that was that was good fun actually.
0: Cool. Uh, I'll make sure to include that uh, uh, in the show notes then. You you have it on GitHub or?
1: There's a yeah, there's a there's a link on, on GitHub. I can I can point to that. Um, we we started uh, we, we started a, a an open source GitHub account for. <laughs> microdesk for some of our experimental things uh and and that's uh, bmarx uh lab so i'll i'll send you the link to
0: that yeah um you you started as a civil engineer and now you work mostly with software development do you have any advice for any other civil engineers or engineers that are interested about this path?
1: Yeah, I think I think in in our industry, it I think it's definitely easier to come in as an architect or an engineer and then move into into software development. I think it's harder to come in as a trained computer scientist and and uh, get get warm feelings from engineers and architects. Um, the other thing that is more and more. Uh, the parent is that, that colleges, I mean, now, nowadays even high schools, I mean, my, my, my uh, older son, is he's, he's writing code, right? So I mean, he's not even in high school yet. I, I think my advice would be if you can pick up coding classes in college, especially if they're offered through your programs, you should definitely take, take advantage of that. Um, the question on whether you should do C Sharp or JavaScript or Python, I think the answer to that is like, well, all of the above. Because you, you know an algorithm, when you see one, it doesn't matter what language it's written in. And, uh, and, and there are certain ecosystems that favor certain programming languages. So nowadays, um, you, you talk about like Rhino and Grasshopper, you, you want to be a little bit on the Python side, I think. Uh, if you want to do machine learning and AI, all that stuff is open source, and all that stuff is in Python. Yeah. If you want to do web development, maybe maybe a little more JavaScript. And uh, and if you want to you want to build tools for Revit, for instance, there is no way around learning C Sharp and then using Visual Studio. Yeah. I personally, I've 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 been uh, I started out in VBA, but I'm I'm a, a C Sharp uh, guy. I, I like I like the .NET framework. I like C Sharp, uh, and it allows me to do anything I want. Right. So, but I'm, I'm Quite aware that that, that ecosystem is lacking of a lot of the stuff that's happening in the space of machine learning and AI. And uh, what we saw at the AEC Technology Symposium at the at the hackathon. And they were reflecting on that in, in the in the keynotes after that is that what used to be a lot of projects on hackathons around like viewers on the web and interoperability, nowadays 90% of the of the teams or or the projects pick uh ML and AI applications as their their hackathon targets. So they're they're all keenly aware that that's that's the future, that Genie does not
0: go back in the bottle, you know? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But uh, what about career perspectives? Like, uh, what kind of jobs? Uh, Leave aside the the scripting for uh, parametric design. Uh, What kind of jobs are there for? For engineers that might uh, uh, get uh, programming skills and would like to 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 move into such a, a role,
1: I'll have to punt on that. Uh, I, I I I don't know. I haven't haven't seen that in 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 too long. But I I, I know that the larger, more the larger, more sophisticated consultancies they've they've always wanted like nice, nice degrees from nice schools. And, and now you, you also want to have like uh, IT skills on your resume. I think that's becoming, as you said, more and more expected, but I can't, can't vouch for that. Yeah. I, I do certainly notice though that there is, uh, I'm, I'm turned out to be one of the older ones by now. So there's a lot of like young kids with crazy, crazy, good ideas and uh, lots and lots of them. So it's happening. I think took a generation, but it's happening.
0: What do you think should we do to to get us to the next level uh, regarding with the progress of our industry, with the BIM adoption?
1: Owners have to put money into sustainability projects. They shouldn't just talk about it. They have to put money into it. Um, They have to fund projects. Um, It takes balls to fund a project on sustainability because the... And by now we have models that predict like really good ROIs the return of investment is short it makes sense it's the right thing to do it's a leadership play right and um our engineering and architecture companies um they they have also to invest uh put the money where their mouths is and not just talk about technology and them but enable people to actually have careers on those on those tracks right and maybe a little critical but the like most engineering firms architecture firms are seniority driven right so I mean I used to give classes on on BIM stuff more than 10 years ago and there were all these old guys in the audience that needed to get like learning credits to keep their PEs alive you know and we we used to do like show of hands like who's doing BIM you know who's planning to do BIM and who who's going to just wait and retire before they have to do BIM and we always had a good chunk of hands up for like yeah they just want to wait it out right but if you're in a leadership position at a company, you can't you can't afford to sit it out. You, you Because you lose talent, there's a lot of turnover of uh, talent. If you know your chops, uh, so those people are in demand, right? Um, and I think what we used to have is, um, and that is also thankfully changing now. I think what we used to have is you, like let's say in an engineering company, you start as an engineer, you become a project engineer, you run a little team with engineers, and then you get like, Eventually, you become a VP, a partner, and that's that's uh, basically your typical career track for like with good leadership material, like engineers. So now you don't have similar leadership tracks for for people that that build tools and then write write code. They're they're still perceived as like assets, you know. They they have like they, somewhere in a corner, you know, and uh, and only like companies actually enable them to to run teams to like have a have a clear path into in into senior leadership of of a company some companies have that I think most don't but but more should right um the like if you're the geek at a company the the career track like the the highest level you could ever get to was like the manager you know or God forbid like not even CTO because the bin manager is still not quite the same as the guy who runs i t right but uh, there is uh, information management and technology management that that those are leadership positions that need to be filled
0: yeah yeah well you know there are still many companies that don't have any other it guys than the maintenance guys and to to buy computers and set them up so
1: yeah i'm quite i'm quite passionate about that uh the way i I it guys operate and that that's just their job their job is to make sure that it's safe that nobody can break in Cybersecurity is more important than than nice screens so you have your office 365 and you have your sharepoint and you're like all right everybody we're going to use sharepoint right and sharepoint just just it stinks it, it it's not intuitive it looks ugly people just hate it right and then every once in a while, you come across a SharePoint that just looks beautiful and it's intuitive and people love it, you know, because somebody actually took the time to, to set it up right. It's, it's like Russian soup, you know, it needs to be cooked right. And, uh, and that's, not, that's not something that, that, in, that, that IT teams would do. It's something where you need to have a communications team or visual designers, and they need to be allowed to play with your SharePoint. And then they can make it beautiful for everybody, but it takes a team to do that. I think also there we were kind of getting there slowly.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's good to hear, because yeah, it's uh, it's very important. It's very important. Uh, it's much easier to work with uh, good and nice tools that are intuitive and uh, uh, someone thought about them and uh, designed them in a way that uh, you can do your your job in the best way. Right? Is there anything else you would like to mention? That uh, we maybe did not touch. We we talk too much about uh, negative things. Let's let's finish on a positive note. No, we did. Did we? Was it was it negative? Was it yeah? Was it a bit
1: critical? Like what? I've been excited. Like uh, like PyRevit is is awesome, right? Uh, we we we've been working with a team in in Paris. Uh, you look them up. Uh, orchestra is a cake. They do. Um, it's like GitHub, but for 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 Dynamo and Grasshopper. So it's it's beautifully designed, uh, and it's basically for version control of these scripts, right? Um, the, because when when you look at at architecture and engineering firms, like everybody's doing Dynamo, everybody's doing Grasshopper scripts, but they sit on folks' computers. And leadership has slowly woken up to the idea there's a lot of knowledge in all these scripts. and And how do you how do you do knowledge transfer? How do you build like libraries? How do you standardize stuff? How do you make sure that the same thing doesn't get invented twice, right? I mean, the, the, the running joke is that every Grasshopper script that could be built has been built before. You just have to be able to find it, right? So, <laughs> so, the, so there is a need for, for a platform uh, that, 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 that helps with that. And the orchestra guys did a fantastic uh, job on that. I'm, I'm, we were excited about that. Uh, we were very excited about like, the, the whole Bimbeats idea like uh, dashboards for, for usage of IT systems. And uh, I think I've been, I've been a a fan of the concept of uh, like consuming like digital exhaust. Like when we operate with computers, like we, we click and we leave trail, right. And you don't want to monitor people like big brother, but you want to, you want to, you want to monitor the trail. And because there is so much like, Data and knowledge in there, which can which can bring a lot more insights into into how we run our companies and what we spend our time on.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's really nice. Orchestra, you said, right?
1: Yeah. The other thing I'm excited about is is Forge and and the way uh, like the the latest generations of Katia that that basically bring the complete project execution not as files and models but as like Virtual space. Like, imagine you're you're a company and and you get a job to participate on a job, and the only way to participate with the, with the team is to interact with with virtual models, not files, models, like directly, like on on the patient, if you want. So I think that's uh, we we we're getting there, and that's that's I think really exciting and uh, with with large large infrastructure projects airports like they, they already employ like stuff like that and uh, if if that makes it into more mainstream applications that would be
0: wonderful. Isn't there anything else open source uh, alternative to forge?
1: I don't know. Unreal Engine Unity <laughs> they're not open source but they certainly work on PlayStation so that that's another thing, of course. That I think we're gonna see the there's gonna be a bit of a disruption of that space from from the big uh, virtual environment guys. Uh, I uh, it's I, I don't know whether you saw like half a year ago they had a the latest round of NVIDIA keynotes and the latest round of like demos for the new Unreal Engine. Like they 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 if they can do real time like tracing of light rays, billions of them, right? And if they can if they can do sound like simulated, if they can do gravity and birds flock around uh, autonomously simulated the applications from, from these techniques and in our industry, I think are, are fantastic. It's like I like we, we've been saying with yeah, with MEP and structure engineering that like oh you need to model it right and you need a big computer and you need to do your finite element thing and then it takes a while to solve. I mean, if if you look at the investment that, that has happened in in, in virtual reality engines for, for gaming, for instance, we're running out of excuses. Like, why can't we stream structural engineering in real time? You know, in a in a virtual environment. That's I think that that's happening sooner than we than than we would think. I think.
0: Yeah, that's fair enough. It should be uh, like like we have these huge environments, right, uh, that are run on these uh, game engines, right.
1: Yeah, or you take like what uh, the Microsoft guys did with Flight Simulator, you know, I mean, to mesh that up with real maps, real world, real weather, real, real time, like being able to fly into a hurricane that happens in real on in Flight Simulator. I mean, that's awesome. So how many more steps until we can put our buildings into that world?
0: Yeah, yeah, that that's, that sounds uh, exciting, you know, thank you for, uh, for this
1: and thank Thank you you for
0: uh, accepting the invitation and uh, joining me of course it's my pleasure